0: The old joke, as they say, uh, after an introduction like that, I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> this week and next week, we're talking about more. And what I felt God say is that we should ask for more, you know, like Oliver Twist, we should be asking for more. So, next week, together, we're going to be crying out to God for more for the city, more for our life together more for our friends and neighbours, more for the sick, more for ourselves. But, before we get to next week, I want to lay a bit of a foundation for that, you know, on the basis on which we can ask God for more. So before we start asking for more, we need to appreciate, in a sense, what we already have in Christ. And we need to appreciate the basis on which we can expect God to give us more when we ask him. So this week the first half of the more, is More Life in Christ. And I'm going to uh, be looking at Romans 5, which is a letter that Paul wrote to what was then effectively the the world city. We can uh, find that on the computer somewhere. So if you've got Bibles or electronic things with a Bible on, just leave them open at Romans 5. And I'm just going to read out Romans 5 verses 6-17 to now this is quite a complicated passage so don't panic because I'm not going to go through it line by line or we'll be here till next week I'm just going to pick out four mores from it so prick your ears up when you hear the words more because that's the four bits I'm going to concentrate on but I'm going to read the whole passage just so you understand the context of it if I can see in the dark here where are we, yes You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for the righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more, note the more, shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, For before the law was given, sin was in the world But sin is not taken into account When there is no law Nevertheless Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses Even over those who did not sin By breaking a command as did Adam Who was a pattern of the one to come Don't worry about this bit I'll clarify it hopefully later But the gift is not like the trespass For if the many died By the trespass of the one man How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespasses of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? through the one man, Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to pick out four mores. So don't don't worry about the detail of that passage, but the four mores are based in what Paul is saying in the whole passage. Are we still working? Can I use the black one? <laughs> Love it when the... Hello, is that on? Yeah, jolly good. I say the old... Uh, Paradox, if you can't hear me, wave your hand (laughs) So the first of our four mores Comes in verse 9 How much more shall shall we be saved from God's wrath Through him Now, you know, we don't like to talk about God being angry, do we? (laughs) Really, it sounds sort of medieval Sounds like fire and brimstone Sounds like all the sort of stuff that We kind of thought the church had got past somehow But actually, should we have a problem with the idea that God God gets angry sometimes? You know, imagine a peaceful rural village somewhere in the world and this band of terrorists come into the village, they slaughter the men in front of their families, they rape and then enslave the women, they bash the brains of the children out against the nearest wall. Do we actually want a God who sees that and says Yeah, whatever. No, we don't, do we, actually? We expect God of justice. And justice means, you know, retribution in that sense. We expect God to get cross when he sees injustice, when he sees terrible things happening. And, you know, it's because God actually loves mankind that he gets cross, he gets furious with the way that we treat each other. If God didn't care about humanity, about people... There'd be no reason for him to get cross. You know, it's because he sees and hates the way that we treat each other that we can talk, have to talk about the wrath of God. You know, we want God to be good, don't we? Anybody agree? Do we want God, whether you believe in him or not, even if it's a theoretical concept, you want a God to be good? Because we're in real trouble if he isn't. (laughs) But you can't actually be a good person without anger and indignation at the bad. You know, if you're a really good person, you are, by nature, angry with the evil. And God's the same. And so, I think in a sense, we shouldn't really have a problem with God being angry at times. You know, We, we should expect it, in a sense. In fact, we almost should demand it of a God of justice. The only problem comes, of course, is that if we're not quite perfect, <laughs> what if I didn't treat somebody that well? You know, what if even if I was sitting in, in a judgment on myself, I would say, well, actually, that person didn't do well there. You know, even if I was judging my own behavior, I would condemn myself. What if I'm part of that society that God is angry with because it's unjust, because it's not treating people right? And that's where we get to the first of the sort of blessings in Christ that we're talking about today, the first great things that are ours in Christ. How much more shall we be saved? So, you know, we've already heard this morning that there is forgiveness in Christ. You know, because Jesus took the punishment on himself that we should have got for the stuff that we've done wrong, we can be forgiven by God. But actually we can get more than just forgiven it actually says in the passage that effectively we are acquitted. You know, it's like we've been in a trial and the verdict comes back from God when we're in Christ, not guilty. God declares us in the right, says that, you know, actually there's no case to answer. You know, you are declared after the trial to have not been guilty. So we're not just forgiven but on a bit of a sort of probation we're actually declared not guilty by God and the great thing about being not guilty is means that there can't be any condemnation to come because the verdict was we're okay we're righteous so that's the first of the Moors and then in verse 10 it says how much more sorry. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So how much more shall we be, in a sense, not just forgiven, not just declared righteous, but actually brought back into the family of God in Christ? You know, we were actually created for intimacy with God. We were... Created to be fully known, to be loved, accepted, and actually important, and made in God's image. That means we were made to be kind of like God, in that sense. We were we were made as humanity to bring God's good order, His good justice, His good rule, to the planet. You know, we were we were made to be in charge of the planet and to bring good to the planet through administering God's ways to the planet. But you know, we blew it a bit, or our ancestor blew it we lost that. Now we are estranged, to use a big word, from God. You know, we're like, It's like falling out with your family and you never speak to them anymore. We, we just have nothing to do with God do we, when we're born. We're born apart from God. We don't know our Father God. We're not in the family when we're born. But in Christ, it says here, we're reconciled that means basically we're welcomed back into the family with open arms we're back into that position with God our Father that we lost so in Christ we can not just know that we're not under any sort of condemnation for the bad stuff we've done but a lot more than that we can actually know that we become sons and daughters of God again we become princes and princesses of God again we've become part of that family back into that relationship that we were intended for in the first place And, you know, the interesting thing about that is that it makes us significant again, doesn't it? A lot of times people say, well, I don't know what I'm here for on the planet. You know, what's the point of life? What's the point of mankind? Well, I'll tell you what the point is. When we come back into God's family, when we come back into Christ, we join the restoration team. Right? We don't become Christians. We don't become in Christ just so that we sort of go to be with God in eternity just so that we go to heaven we come back to join the restoration team that's trying to fix the place right? that's trying to undo all the mess that's trying to right the wrongs that's trying to bring justice back that's trying to bring harmony back that's trying to bring love back to the planet so, you know, we immediately become significant because we're part, because we're a son and a daughter of God and we're involved in a big work Something important Something that is actually What is going to bring good to this planet So we're not here Just to sit in a silo Keep quiet, keep our heads down And go to heaven When we die We're here to be part of the restoration team Yeah Yeah? And the other thing That Andy has already alluded to I think it was Andy this morning Or was it Ruth Or probably both of you Was that actually when we are reconciled when we come back into the family of God, we come back into security. You know, we come back into unconditional love from an undying lover, (laughs) in a sense. You know, I think I said last week, didn't I, that part of the problem with looking for love outside God is that there's always the risk that somebody will pass us over when they find somebody younger and prettier or something like that, or nicer, or, you know, they'll fall out with us, or we'll get old, or... You know, human loves can only be ever a bit shaky, can't they? Because they rely on people like us to do the loving. <laughs> and that's a problem. We can never be totally secure in the love of another human being. Even if they are incredibly faithful and loving, they might die. You know, they're not permanent in that sense, are they? And even if they go on loving us to the day that we die, their love can't come past death with us. count can't follow us, can it, through death. But the great thing about being loved by Jesus, about being loved by God, is that you've got somebody whose love towards you never changes, and he'll never die, and even when we die, the Bible says, his love followers us, follows us through death, overcomes death, and we continue that relationship past death. So that's, that's real security, isn't it? Massively better than anything you know, that normal life has to offer us. And the other sort of amazing thing that has taken me a long time to find out, actually, was that God doesn't just love me, but he actually likes me. That took me a long time to be convinced of this, because I didn't like me that much, so I couldn't really see why God would have such a poor taste. But I had to accept eventually that who was I to criticize God's taste? And I've had to accept that actually I'm okay, because God <laughs> thinks I'm okay. <laughs> And also God believes in us, you know. The problem is sometimes because we've had this idea that God is cross with us and sits in judgment on us, we kind of think that all the time God's trying to pull us down, criticise what we do, you know, pick on anything we do wrong. But actually once we're in Christ, once we're in his family again, once we're reconciled to him, actually God is our greatest supporter not our greatest critic. He's the one who says, actually, you can do it. Actually, I can see all the potential I've put in you. Actually, I can see that despite all the crud, you know, that you've collected in life so far, there's something really golden, really wonderful underneath there, and we're going to clean you up in a process, and I'm going to try my best, God says, to convince you of all the wonderful things that you can do with me. You know, and I believe in you. So it's God's behind us shouting, yeah, go on, you can do it. He's not actually there undermining us, saying, "Oh, I'm just waiting for you to make a slip, then I'll hit you over the head with a big stick." You know, it's actually God is our greatest supporter, our greatest fan, our greatest lover, and the one who actually wants us to succeed. So the third more, I can I find this difficult with one hand. Uh, we'll have to get a tie, Mike, right, won't we? That's it. Thank you, Andy. My beautiful assistant here. Thirdly, we get to verse 15 now. If we're at the right bit of the passage now, are we? 15? Yeah. How much more did grace and gifts overflow to us in Christ? I'm paraphrasing slightly there. Now, grace is one of those words that sounds a bit churchy again, doesn't it? Or sometimes we think it just means that people can dance nicely. You know, Darcy Bustle or somebody, you know, is graceful. But actually, what grace means. When Paul's talking about it, it means that God has his favour on us. God just wants to give us stuff and bless us in every way. And he wants to do it when we don't deserve it and we haven't earned it. And the the funny thing about grace is it's both wonderful and terrible. Now you might think that's a bit odd because it sounds quite wonderful, the idea that God's going to, you know, smile upon me try to sort of do everything positive for my life despite the fact that I might not perform very well and God will still go on giving me his favour whether I perform well or I perform badly. What's possibly could be terrible about that? <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me. Well what's terrible about it actually is that grace, God's favour like undeserved favour, is death to pride. Right? It's death to independence from God. It's death to self-righteousness that says God's going to have to accept me because i have been such a good person. It's death to religiousness that says God will have to accept me because I've been to Mass seven days a week for the last five years, or I've sacrificed a whole herd of sheep to him. It's that sense that you can somehow make God pleased with you just by doing religious things. That is cut across, it's killed by grace, Self-righteousness is killed by grace Human independence that says I did it my way Is killed by grace There's no place for independence And human pride of the wrong sort That sets itself up against God Because grace says well actually No, you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it I just favoured you Because you're my child And then It talks about Gifts overflowing to us through God's grace And I want to pick on two particular bits of gift, one of which I think we've already touched on this morning so it's wonderful the way God sometimes just speaks the same thing through different people and these things come together. So I want to look at two particular gifts. And the first gift is, well they're they're both gifts of freedom. And the first freedom is freedom from death, actually. That's mentioned in the passage, isn't it? You know, death destroys all human hopes It makes futile all human achievement. It ends all human relationships. Our society, and like most societies, is in denial about death, really, because death makes everything meaningless, if it's allowed to reign. We don't like to think about that. People find all sorts of ways of Imaginative ways of thinking They're going to be angels sitting on a cloud after death And all this sort of stuff Or somehow that your achievements will be written in stone And people will remember you And as long as people remember you, that's alright No, you're dead So, you know, we, we find all sorts of fudgies But the reality is that death Makes human existence meaningless So, you know, if we're still living under that curse We're in trouble But in Christ The gift of Christ Is freedom from the curse of death says here. The fact is that in Christ we needn't fear death and we needn't fear what comes after death. Actually after death is in a sense the start of our real life. (laughs) You know a lot of what we're doing at the moment, yeah we're working on the restoration team, we're preparing in a sense for a time when we're going to go up three or four gears and really take off in life with Christ. You know, what we're working towards after death is a glorious adventure, a great adventure of living with God in a restored universe, and we'll be in immortal, powerful, restored bodies ourselves. So we're not looking to be some sort of disembodied spirits floating about, but we're actually looking or somehow all that eternity is is just one long church service and we just sit there forever. Which some people have probably compared to Hell, uh, <laughs> that would be hell so yeah. yeah right no, it's not actually it's just another big adventure. we don 't know exactly what we'll be up to, but maybe the restoration team at the moment is restoring this planet, then we're on the team that develops the universe i don't know. I think God has big plans anyway for us. And we're going to be doing exciting stuff with him after death. So the point I'm making is that, far from fearing death or thinking it's the end, it's really, in many ways, going to be the beginning of real life. And the funny thing is, you know, we we live at the moment under the tyranny of time, don't we? I'm just digressing a bit, but I kind of love thinking about the future. I love thinking about our future in Christ. I suppose the older you get and the more decrepit your body gets, the more you look forward to it. But, you know time spoils things a bit doesn't it we're always under time pressure but in eternity time will cease in a sense we'll be out of the tyranny of time at the moment if you can imagine the best holiday you've ever had the greatest time you've ever had on a holiday there's always that little thing at the back of our head that says oh, I've only got another five days left and then I've got to go home Right? holidays always end the great thing about the fantastic time we're going to be having with God in eternity, is that it won't end. Right? There is no time anymore. There's no end to the holiday in that sense. So you know, we be freed from that sense that, oh well, all good things have to end. Time is always a pressure on us. So we're free from that. So that's, that's the first gift. It's a freedom from that tyranny, that fear of death that sort of cripples us and makes everything meaningless. And the second one That God wants to free us from. The second gift in Christ. Is actually freedom from sin. I've just about managed now. I'm kind of learning gradually. How to operate with one hand. So. Talks about here. As being set free from. Bondage. Tyranny of sin in our lives. Now that sounds a bit. Again that sounds a bit churchy. What does sin mean? It just means that built in tendency we have. To do the wrong thing even when actually part of us would like to do something better. Part of us knows that there's a better way, but the fact is there's that bit in us that just goes and does it again, that just keeps on doing the wrong stuff. And, you know, it can be a bit of a treadmill, can't it? You know, we we try to make New Year's resolutions, sometimes to be nicer people, not just slimmer or soberer ones, but nicer sometimes. (laughs) You know, the best resolutions we can make we just go on breaking. You know, we can see sometimes what we should be doing, how we should be behaving, but something in us just seems to drive us to do the wrong thing all the time. It's like when you bring up kids. You know, if you want to believe, understand and believe in sin, just have children. Because we never have to teach our kids to do stuff wrong, do we? We spend a lot of our time trying to teach them to do the right thing, and we spend none of our time trying to teach them to do the bad stuff yet they instinctively do do bad things. That's interesting, isn't it? That's that's the power. Despite every parent, no parent that I've ever met, well, Fagin possibly, or somebody like that, teaches their kids deliberately to do bad things, it's not unusual. Most parents do try to teach their children to do the right thing, but children have this inbuilt drive, unfortunately, without any teaching at all, to do the wrong thing sometimes. And that's what we're talking about here, it's that tyranny, isn't it, of sin in our lives. And the great thing in Christ is that we can not just be forgiven for the stuff we do wrong, but we actually have the possibility to be better. We actually have in Christ the choice to not sin, the power in His of his life in our lives when we are in him to actually choose the right instead of always ending up doing the wrong that we didn't want to do. You know, we have the power in Christ to break bad habits and addictions. We have the power in Christ to change our personalities. It doesn't happen overnight, it doesn't happen instantly when you give your life to Christ but once you become in Christ once you say to him I want you, I want you to have my life you start a road, you start a process where you can actually you know, become more like him in personality. You know, we're free to live as the holy saints that we are not the sinners that we were now that sounds a bit crazy but unbelievably when we become Christians when we move into Christ in that sense when we say to Jesus look I just want you to have my life then actually he says now you're a saint you're not just a sinner who I'm letting off for the time being you're a saint who I love and we actually have the power to become those saints in a sense Rather than just go on being forgiven sinners And then the final one final much more Is how much more shall we reign in life through Christ Jesus Now there's a bit of background to this <clears throat> Which isn't in the passage directly When Jesus died he was raised again And yeah, he appeared on Earth for a while, but then he went back, went back to his father, and he now sits in a position of authority with God the Father, say at the right hand, as we say, of God the Father. And in a sense, he sits in a position of authority that's just above every other authority, whether that's on Earth or in the spiritual realm. So the background to reigning in life is that we are in Christ, and He's in charge. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? You know, our authority comes, our ability to reign in life comes from being in the One to whom all authority has now been given. It's not some sort of thing that's intrinsic to us, but it comes comes from our position in a sense. When we put our eyes into Christ's hands, then we share in His authority. And this is, if you remember, I said that mankind was meant, originally meant to rule. On the planet, that rule is restored When we come into Christ So what does it actually mean To reign in life? Does it mean that we never have any problems? (laughs) That we're continuously Having victories over everything? I just want to read A little bit, this is the 2 Corinthians Passage, if we could have that up This is Paul writing To another city 2 Corinthians 4 7, 8 and 9 If I can find it Um, But we have this treasure in jars of clay To show that this is all-surpassing power Is from God and not from us We are hard-pressed on every side But not crushed Perplexed, but not in despair Persecuted, but not abandoned Struck down, but not destroyed And this is St Paul talking, you know So if anybody should have known continuous victory It should be him, shouldn't it? (laughs) You know, he was good at this stuff So it doesn't mean personal immunity from normal human problems to life, does it? In a sense, it means it's a bit more like being a rock at the seaside, you know, a, a sea cliff rock, where the great waves break over it, the storms break, the waves pound this rock, but the rock just stays there, immovable, and the waves break off it. So in a sense, what what we're promised is not that we won't have problems but that the problems will not wash us away You know that we will be like a rock when we're in Christ who can can weather all the big storm breakers crashing over us I think last week I read a bit of a passage Uh, in fact actually it's a few chapters further on in the same letter to the Romans which says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ It doesn't say we won't have any problems when we're in Christ. It says that famine, sword, disasters of all sorts won't be able to separate us from God's love because we're in Christ. So the disasters still happen, but God's love is there to keep us sustained, for us to be that rock still. So you might say, well, okay... We have with no personal immunity We we have the ability to stand In a sense to be more than conquerors in different situa- Difficult situations, but is that all it means? Well no, actually I believe Reigning in life in Christ does mean Something else as well It means that we have the power In Christ to command things On earth to be as they are in heaven In other words, to be as They should be As how God wants them to be Now You know, in Jesus' name, we have the authority to pray and see the supernatural happen. Now, that's part of what it means to reign in life. It means that we have the authority of Jesus to see stuff change on earth in a way that's just not natural, shouldn't be possible, supernatural. And that means that we can pray in the name of Jesus for any human difficulty, really, when we meet people who have Health problems, problems with poverty, problem with their relationships, with our friends and neighbours. We can pray in the name of Jesus and we can expect, you know, stuff to shift, things to happen. So a lot of reigning in life is is not about personal well-being, although it is that ability to be more than conquerors, to stand against difficulties. But it's actually about that ability to bring restoration, to bring blessing to people around us. And I want you to hold this thought, in a sense, as we come to an end now, because a lot of this underpins what we're going to do next week. Next week we're going to pray, as I say, for, for God to do more in our city, do more with our friends and relatives, do more in our own lives. So, as we finish, do you need more of these things? Do we need more of a fresh start and forgiveness? do you need reconciliation to God do you need freedom from the fear of death freedom from being bound down by doing the wrong stuff ability to overcome circumstances and it tends to be more than a conqueror in those difficult circumstances and do you need more of the ability to make a real difference to the lives of those around you well it's all yours in Christ <laughs> so you know it's there for us it's there for us to say to Jesus, right, you have said I've seen it written down in black and white I've got it if I'm in Christ If I'm not in Christ yet, I'm going to come into Christ Then I've got it <laughs> And, you know, I'm I'm eligible for all this If you're in Christ, you are eligible for all these things They are your birthright, they're your inheritance in Christ To have these things They belong to you if you're in Christ and if you've not got them okay start knocking on the door and saying give me gimme gimme ask for more and I say that's what we'll be doing more of next week what I'd actually like to do for a couple of minutes if it's okay Andy is if Steph could just come and play something quietly i want us all to have the chance just for a minute or two to respond to those points i want us all to just sit i say if you don't know jesus yet that can easily be fixed just say to him, actually I want to give you my life, I want to be in Christ, I want to be in you, I want you to be ruling my life, I want you to be the one who I have life in. I'm going to look for life in you, I'm going to come back into the family of God through Christ. If you do know Jesus already, then, but you haven't got all these things, or you haven't got as much of all these things as you want, then just quietly ask. So let's, let's just spend a couple of minutes just asking for more, asking for more of all these areas that, that we, we can all share in Christ.